y'all, my name's Tom Little while back was an alcoholic Had a mental breakdown like a year ago Came close to put me in a coffin Damn, after the hooker I loved After I did all the drugs After I finally got fired for showing up late to the job Hella tired and drunk After the oxys I put up my nose with my boss On the oil rigs when I was young After my ex cut her wrists and the cops thought I stabbed her and beat me then put me in cuffs After I totaled my car trying to run from the cops With a kilo of coke in the trunk After I drank till I rotted my teeth on my head Got infections in all of my gums After I couldn't get hard cause the vodka and porno sedated me till I was numb After I couldn't escape from the basement I rented And went to go live with my mom After I cheated on people I needed and lied trying to hide from the guy that I was Then I got sober, the madness was over Now I am proud of the man I become yeah. I'm finally someone that I know again I started climbing out the hole I'm in Fighting demons and I know I win It's time for me to mend these broken ways Life has been hard, I know it gets better This is a war that I'll fight This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Oro Recovery, created by our old friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob. Oro is located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, in Silver Lake, somewhere in Western Los Angeles. Its mission was to help alcoholics and addicts to get sober through compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades and decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath, meditation, surfing, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Newsweek rated them like number one rehab in America. Everyone that I know really, really benefited from going there. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I can't suggest going to Oro enough. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is an amazing app that helps you get sober and stay that way. It helps you think differently about your life. And you may have seen Sober Buddy on Instagram or Facebook. It's that cute little blue fluffy guy. It has a sober tracker down to the second, daily check-ins that give you advice based upon your mood, cute motivational memes, and helpful tips too. I've been using the Sober Buddy app and really enjoying it. It's available on both iTunes and Google Play Store, or you can check out their website at YourSoberBuddy.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Soberlink. As we know, addiction is a serious issue that needs to be addressed. Nearly 15 million people in the U.S. have an alcohol use disorder, and that's alcohol only, not other drugs. Only 10% of those people get treatment. This can be attributed to the stigma that surrounds addiction and how people don't want to talk about it. Their remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people to be more accountable in their sobriety. The Dopey 
podcast was started with open and honest conversations about addiction and recovery. And Soberlink encourages this to help rebuild trust and maintain sobriety. We've teamed up with Soberlink to create a healthy habits guide for those in recovery. Visit www.soberlink.com dopey to download the healthy habits guide. And if you or someone you know can benefit from accountability for alcohol recovery, you'll also find a form on that page to sign up for a $50 off promo code exclusive to Dopey Nation. Let Soberlink help you to stay off of the sauce. And we have a new sponsor, a super delicious new sponsor that we have been trying to get on the show for fucking years at this point. It is, of course, Dope. That is D-O-U-G-H-P. It is an incredible company that makes unbelievably delicious cookie dough. Their dough is designed to either be baked into cookies or just eat safely out of the container raw. Their dough also comes in pints like ice cream, but are filled with delicious, delicious cookie dough. I ate their chocolate chip. Fucking delicious. Their brownie beast. So good. Cookie monster. Unbelievably delicious. I saw the founder of Dope, Kelsey, on Shark Tank years ago. She is an addict in recovery and, like us, believes in ending the stigma around drug addiction and shining a spotlight on recovery. A portion of every delicious sale of Dope is also donated to She Recovers, a nonprofit charity with a mission to connect, support, and empower women in or seeking recovery. Life is raw. Cookie dough helps. For sure. Are you kidding me? Use Dopey15 for 15% off at dope.com. That's D-O-U-G-H-P.com or find them nationwide in select stores. I think you guys know how I feel about cookies. Dope is delicious. If you're going to get cookie dough, get dope at dope.com and use Dopey15. This is like a Todd shot that Dope is sponsoring Dopey. So please support the dope at Dope. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave. And it's a very, 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 very special show this week. We have super controversial rapper, Canadian, Tom McDonald, internet juggernaut, fucking millions of views on YouTube with uh, his... uh, Slightly controversial rap music. He was awesome on the show. A joy to talk to. And we're going to talk to him in a bit. But first, I want to talk about something that's very important, which was last week was uh, my friend, what would have been my friend Todd's 48th birthday. His birthday is April 24th. And um, I think every year, I've done a show that either commemorates his birth or his death. He was one of my very best friends. He was somebody that I used with all the time and, um, and died just before Chris died while we were making the show. And I did. It's funny. I often will look around in, in my emails or my texts with Todd to see if there's something funny I can share for the show. And, um, Months ago, I did that, and I found this incredible script 
that um, that him and I had written about copping in downtown Los Angeles. And I had my friend Jeremy and I read it and we put it on Patreon. I think I'll make it for free on Patreon after today. So you can and I'll put a link in, in social media and stuff so you could hear it. Really, really funny shit from Todd. And then also I was just looking at his Facebook page to actually remember the day of his birthday. And uh, you know how like it gives you an about page on or an about section on Facebook for some and, and I don't know anyone that ever wrote anything, but Todd actually wrote in his and he wrote it says about Todd and it says blah blah to New York City after I graduated from college then I blah blah to California to reside in Oakland where I was a private investigator then I blah blah to San Francisco where I worked in advertising then I blah blah and the blah blah is totally getting fucked up and and you know getting wasted then I blah blah to Los Angeles for six years where I worked as a QA analyst for a dot-com startup that failed then a film editor then i blod back to upstate new york for three years and now i am back in new york city working as the production coordinator for a new pilot series that will hopefully air on nat geo oh yeah i intend to take over the world um it doesn't show his name pronunciation doesn't show other names and then it says favorite quotes and it says stop fucking around me meaning him so that's todd for you and uh i wish he was still alive so you could hear it from him and he was uh just an amazing guy and and which is why if you're an addict you should go slow and call somebody and test your fucking shit uh for fentanyl and uh be careful call your friends whatever i go to this meeting you know, anybody who listens to the show, I talk about this all the time. I go to a 12-step meeting often in the morning on the beach, and there's a dude at the 12-step meeting who reminds me of Todd. Like, he is Todd. Like, he's small like Todd. He has a shaved head like Todd. He uh, has a, a beard similar to Todd's, and he talks in this really animated way. And I've kind of always kept my distance from him because he reminds me of Todd, and it's it's weird. And, and months ago I had shared about something and he, um, he shared that he had just stopped smoking weed and, and lately I've been seeing him and he looks kind of like, you know, he looks kind of angry and he's not been sharing so much at the meeting. So I went up to him today and I asked him if he was smoking weed and he was, and then like, I kind of gave him my shtick about bud and how I, if I pantomime smoking a joint, I can feel high and this and that and whatever. And I had this thought about like the prom, like the promise of smoking bud is like incredible until you kind of do it. And then it never lives up to the promise. I had this thought about it and I've never been able to really explain it. And the dude is just like rolling his eyes at me. And then I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to leave you alone. I don't want to annoy you. And I left and he texted me and he wrote, I roll my eyes cause you're giving me exactly the help I need. But out of fear, I don't ask. I appreciate it. I really am always so nervous or anxious, if you will, about offending others. So I really hope I didn't come off unappreciative. I came here on the verge of death. By the grace of God, got sober. The relief of that first drink, only to find out I had a major soul sickness. Me, my thinking, and my attitudes were my problem all along. I believe in the program. I read things in the big book that describes me to a T. It even describes where I'm at when it comes to step work. 
I look forward to my friend David shares and I really look up to you and respect how comfortable, comfortable, comfortable you are being different. You do this thing where you start talking out of the side of your mouth because you're trying to hide your smile, but you can't because you feel good. I do something similar, but the total opposite. I try saying nothing because I don't anyone I don't want anyone to see or hear the pain. And then you grab me aside from the meeting and say, yo, asshole, I can see you're hurting. Why don't you stop stabbing yourself? I'm not good at quoting things either, but I think I got it right. And at least for today, I feel a little better and can get on with my day with a little bit of levity. Thanks, Dave. And um, all right, now are you ready for the craziest part? The craziest fucking part is that um, I didn't want to read his text on the show without asking him. And he doesn't know about Dopey. He doesn't know anything about Dopey. He doesn't know I have a podcast, whatever. So I text him and I said, do you mind if I read that text on my podcast? And he writes back, go for it, but you have to read it animated, maybe in like a fat Albert voice or something. Hey, hey, hey. And he doesn't know I like fat Albert or my favorite Dopey intro is the fucking Dopey Fat Albert song, or that I just made pins with Fat Albert with a Dopey logo over his eyes that say, hey, 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 that are sitting on my desk in front of me while he texts me. Is that a coincidence? Or as they say in the program, is it odd or is it Todd? Fucking hell. Like, uh, he reminds me so much of Todd. So, like, I'm happy I reached out to him and I hate to be preachy. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying not to be preachy, but I don't want him to die. I don't want any of you guys to die. And I miss Todd. And I want us to wish Todd a happy birthday. And if you never listened to an episode with Todd, go back and find the Todd episodes. Todd episodes are amazing. My favorite episode was the first episode Todd called in on. So listen to that stuff. Send in an email. Let us know what's going on with you. The email is, of course, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Don't be a stranger. DopeyCon 3 is coming in New York City. October 1st is the date. I haven't gotten too many RSVPs. Started talking to some theaters. There will be a spot. There will be great performances. There will be a actual convention of dopes. People in the UK have bought tickets to fly here. So make your way to New York City for October 1st. Uh, for DopeyCon 3, NYC, free to be you and me. The title, title is not laid out yet. We do not have a title. Um, please check out Patreon, support Dopey Patreon. I recently wrote this long story about the time I went on the Howard Stern Show and played the clip, and it's kind of like me trying to get writing. So check it out, Dopey Patreon. Subscribe to Dopey YouTube. Buy Dopey Gear at DopeyPodcast.com from our partner, SRO Prince. Uh, Really, really cool shit. The new Buddha shit is out. Fucking, I just shipped a bunch of stuff, a bunch of socks and beanies and new Fat Albert pins, which are awesome, new Dopey stickers. So if you want any of the, the, the Dopey gear that are hats or stickers, write me on Instagram and I will send it to you. If you want any of the shirts or sweatshirts, go to dopeypodcast.com. If you want candles, we've got amazing candles from the North Ave Candle Company. They're really nice smelling, long burning candles. Go to northavcandles.com slash collections slash dopey and you will find our candle. Or just go to dopeypodcast.com and click on the candle link. And the candles are amazing. 
Lots of you are interested in the dog. Winnie is doing well. We have not killed Winnie. Winnie's still part of our family. Every morning I come downstairs, I take the dog uh, out. But before I take the dog out, my new thing every morning is I fucking make my athletic greens drink, my AG1. And this episode of Dopey is brought to you by Athletic Greens. And I take the AG1 in the morning before I take the dog out. I, I always wanted to have some kind of health in my life. And AG1 is a supplement loaded with vitamins and minerals. It actually tastes good. And I really like taking it. It makes me feel healthy. It, it is loaded with good stuff. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. It is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. It is, uh, it's amazing for digestion. The founder created it because he had digestion issues and he was putting together some crazy regiment that cost him a hundred bucks a day. AG one is less than $3 a day, which is cheaper than like the local cold brew or caramel macchiato or whatever you like. It's, um, they've donated over 1.2 million meals to kids in 2020, which is nice, but it, it has nothing to do with how good a, a product it is, but they're a good company. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash dopey. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash dopey to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And I heard from a bunch of people in the Dopey Nation that were impressed that I was taking AG1 and they, they're into it and they're not doing fucking ads for it and they love it. Um, another thing that I've really kept up with is my therapy. And... Um, I find that therapy is really, really a helpful thing in my life. And I did a ton of online therapy recently, and I have to recommend online therapy, and I have to recommend BetterHelp.com. This episode of Dopey is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Dopey listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Dopey Podcast. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash dopey podcast if you're interested in getting some you know clarity and some and unloading stressors go to betterhelp.com and use the the dopey code to save 10 percent. it's amazing and now we have this interview long interview with he has the number one uh hip-hop record on billboard this year it's crazy his name is tom mcdonald he is he had a crazy controversial story about him in Rolling Stone this week. I imagine there will be a bit of backlash um, about this guest, but I thought he was awesome. And I think his story about addiction, alcoholism, and mental health is very important for you guys to hear. He was honest. He was cool. And um, here we go. Tom McDonald on Dopey. <laughs> 
this is a very exciting day because it is not often we have the number one billboard artist on Dopey. He is in recovery. He's a rapper. He has tattoos on his face. He's very controversial. His name is Tom McDonald. Welcome to the show. Hey, brother. How are you doing? I'm good. It's a big deal. Thank you for coming. Yeah, absolutely, man. You guys are doing a cool thing. And obviously, I have a little bit of experience <laughs> with what you guys talk about. So it made sense. So you, you, you know, the Instagram page is called the hangover gang. Is that the H O G under your lip hangover gang? Sure is brother. And, and describe before you say anything else, what exactly is the hangover gang? Well, it's sort of like I, I was a big drinker once upon a time. And so were the, the guys that I hung out with. So um, it started as just like, you know, three or four of us that were, just getting plastered all the time and uh just having like what we thought were like the best times of our lives like all the time so i just kind of like you know we were always hung over and i mean it's pretty self-explanatory it's right on the nose we were the gang so we were just the hangover gang i got a t-shirt made you know we, it, that that was geez like probably 10 years ago so i think we've all sort of like grown up and evolved as human beings. Whereas, you know, we're still like just a group of guys that's trying to have the best time of their life as often as possible. We've just sort of removed copious amounts of alcohol from the equation. So, right, right on. And what, what was the first tattoo you put on your face? Just out of curiosity. This one across my forehead. What does it say? Live and die in a dream. All right. Were you, were you using when you did it or were you sober? Or is that a stupid question? That's not a stupid question. There are no stupid questions. Um, I, I, think, think, I, I think I can prove, I think I'll be able to prove by the time this interview is over that there are stupid questions. <laughs> but we'll see if we can find one. Sure. Um, I, you know what, man? Like, I, did, I didn't quit uh, drinking sort of like all at once. I mean, I, I, I sort of did. I quit a lot of things all at once, but a few things kind of trickled back in and hung out for a bit and then eventually sort of like fucked off permanently. Um, so it, I might've been like having, you know, a couple drinks here and there or whatever, but it was nothing compared to, you know, the, the inception of hangover gang. So. Okay. And, uh, what came first, uh, alcohol and drugs or love of hip hop? Love of hip hop. And hit me with it. How did it happen? What was the first, what was the first rap song you fell in love with? First rapper? What's the story? Dude, it was crazy. Um, so I used to live in this like really small town called Mission in uh, British Columbia in Canada. And, you know, it was like one of those towns that like if you blinked driving in, you were already driving out. Right. Uh, it was real small. So there was like a there was like this one sort of like main main drag where there was like the arcade and like the movie theater and like a couple convenience stores and shit like that. And one of the stores was a pawn shop. And my dad was always like big into like going to garage sales and swap meets and like all that type of stuff so we used to roll to those places together all the time and we went into this pawn shop one time and he gave me five bucks and he said you can get anything in in the pawn shop with this five bucks anything you want five bucks doesn't go very far in a pawn shop um but i found like a a, a plastic milk crate full of cds and the cds were five bucks so i was i was digging through all the cds i think at that point in time i had uh two tape cassettes i had offspring no doubt 
and I had a Marilyn Manson CD. And that's like all I had. Oh, I had a big shiny tune CD, which is like a compilation of rock music that there, 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 there were these compilation CDs that they used to release in Canada. It was like a big deal. Uh, so I didn't have very much music, but I had a boombox. So I'm digging through this thing and all the CDs are five bucks, but I find Tupac all eyes on me. And I had heard Tupac, the name before. I'd never heard any, he was a huge star at that sure. point in time. Yeah. So um, I'd heard his name around, never heard his music or anything like that. But the, uh, the selling point to me was all eyes on me was a, was a double CD set. Um, so for $5, I'd get two CDs instead of one CD. So just thinking economically, I was like, you know what? I'll get more music for my five bucks if I get this Tupac CD. So that's what I'm going to do. Bought the Tupac CD. Um, and, you know, I think that was the only uh, two CDs that I listened to for probably like the next like year. And I've always been like that. I never, you know, when I fall in love with rock music, I don't listen to like a wide array of rock music. The band, the music that spoke to me the most, that was made by Led Zeppelin. Sure. And so that's all I listened to. I just listened to Zeppelin. So when I found Tupac, I didn't immediately go start listening to the DMXs and Jay-Zs and whoever else was cracking at the time. I just listened to Tupac. That's it. And I just listened to that straight. And then years later, um, I was getting on this like yellow school bus that used to take me home after school. And this kid sits down next to me on the bus and he's got this little discman with him. And he's like, dude, you have to listen to this. Um, I stole this CD from my brother. And I was like, what is it? And he's like, this guy's name's Eminem. He's a white rapper. Right. And I was like, get the fuck. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that's probably trash. And he's like, he's like, no, man, you got to listen to it. And I remember putting my headphones on and just being like, holy shit. Holy shit. Like, because, you know, uh, there's a certain disconnect between like a little white kid from like the suburbs who's listening to Tupac. Like you can love it and you can and it can be all you listen to. And you can be infatuated with it. But there's a disconnect there. He's talking about a lot of things and a life that that I'm not familiar with that I don't directly relate to. So when I heard Eminem start talking about stuff like just the crazy nonsensical shit and the problems with his folks and the trailer park and all this other stuff, those are things that I'd seen and that I'd been around. And, I, and that bridged the gap for me where I was like, oh, my God, I could do that. I could write raps. I don't have to be like the gangster drug dealer guy. I can just be me. So that was like, that was the big moment for me. So, you know. So how long after listening to Eminem were you like, fuck it, I'm going to give it a shot? Well, I had, I secretly like wrote poems and rock songs and raps and stuff for like a long time. Like actually my dad was just at the crib the other day and he brought me like a binder full of these like old fucked up raps that I used to write like and vintage, stash them in this the binder. Vintage with, Tom yeah. McDonald lyrics. Right <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. So, so I wrote them for like a long, long, long time. I, I, I was sort of preoccupied because I guess I just, I, I did, I wouldn't fully have the confidence in myself to step out on a, a public stage and be like, I am to get, I'm a rapper now. 
So I, I just secretly just wrote that for music for a long, long time. And I, and I actually got into pro wrestling. I like really fell in love with like WWF for whatever reason. I was like, Oh, like that's something that I could do. And the pro wrestling stuff touched me in a really similar way that the music touched me. It was really, but that's a, another story. That's pretty fucking crazy. Let's hear um, the story. So wait, 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 the, wait, hold up. Hold up. I like any good story. I'm, that's my, that's my, my world. What's a good story that you weren't going to tell? Uh, well, just like the, 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 the wrestling stuff, essentially, like I was always sort of like a kind of like a timid kid. Um, I never had like a whole lot of friends or anything like that. I actually like dealt with like getting like bullied pretty like intensely when, when I was a kid, like, to the point where like, man, these kids invited me to their house one time. This is always the story that I cite when I think back on the bullying. It's just like left the craziest imprint on me. These kids invited me to their fucking house. And uh, that was sort of known that they didn't like me, but for whatever reason, they were like being cool to me that day. And like, as a kid who just like wanted to be fucking accepted by anyone, I think people get this like Stockholm syndrome type of shit where like you want your bullies to fucking like you for whatever reason. So they, sure. they invited acceptance. Me, yeah. So they invited me to their house. I went over and knocked on the door and they were waiting on the fucking roof and they actually dumped a whole bunch of water on top of me when I knocked on the door and it was like minus 30 middle of the winter in Canada. Ugh. And I fucking, Ugh. I had to walk home like frozen solid, but my jeans frozen to like my legs. It was fucking gnarly. So I had to deal with a lot of like weird shit like that, getting bullied by kids and stuff. And I remember, you know, me and my dad moved away from my mom and my sister just because uh, there's a lot of layoffs and shit happening in, in my hometown at that point in time. It's tough for dad to find work. And um, th that's when the big oil boom was happening in Alberta. My dad got a job um, working in some sort of management position and in, in, in the oil, oil fields or whatever in Northern Alberta. So me and my dad moved to Alberta, leave my mom and my sister, in uh, British Columbia mission. Yeah. In, right. in mission. Uh, and me and dad are living in a basement suite um, in Edmonton. And like, we got our couches from the garage sales and like, we were sleeping on an air mattress together that would like, we'd wake up in the morning and we'd be sleeping on the concrete floor because it leaked during the night. And it was just like fucking gnarly. Like we were trying to get our life started so we could move my sister and my mom in. One day I get home after school I'm sitting in the living room, uh, you know, on this thin little fucking carpet on top of the concrete floor. And I flipped on the TV and we had like 20 channels. And one of them was pro wrestling. And I guess that night, the big the big main event of Monday Night Raw was Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, against The Undertaker. And I had no idea who either one of these fucking guys were. For whatever reason, I stopped to watch it. This guy's walking around outside with this microphone and he's like interviewing all of these fans that are standing outside of the arena. And he's asking them, like, who do you think is going to win tonight? Who do you think is going to win tonight? And and everybody is saying, like, oh, I think the Undertaker is going to win because he's the dead man. It was a first blood match. So first person to bleed loses. Right. So they're asking and all these people are like, oh, the Undertaker is going to win. He's the dead man. He doesn't bleed. And he's going to beat Steve Austin's ass, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking to myself, like damn, this poor fucking Steve Austin guy is going to get <laughs> fucked up. Like, right? this is going to be gnarly, right? And whatever, I was hooked, so I wanted to watch it. And the Undertaker comes out with all the 
music and the lightning the and the scary yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, oh my God, like this guy is going to fuck this other dude up like bad. And uh, so Undertaker's in the ring and then Steve Austin's music comes out and he walks through the curtain. And I just remember that like he was walking into a situation that seemed like almost certain defeat and he did not give a fuck. He was like walking to the ring with a purpose. He was not afraid. I was scared for him. He was not fucking afraid. And he went in there and beat the shit out of the undertaker. And I remember thinking to myself that that character that was Steve Austin to some degree, like embodied me and the undertaker embodied sort of these bullies and these daily fights Villains. I was up against. Right. Yeah. So it's to, great to see. Yeah. So I was just like, Oh my God, this is the most incredible fucking thing I've ever seen. And it hit me, it hit me on such a level that I was like, I need to do that. I'm going to do that. So to bring it back to the music stuff, I was writing music, but I had discovered pro wrestling. I ended up going headfirst into pro wrestling for many, 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 many years. But I didn't stop writing the music and stuff sort of behind the scenes in my private time. And then when the wrestling stuff sort of culminated and reached its unfortunate conclusion, I had like a bunch of music and stuff that I'd been writing for years. And um, I needed an outlet for, you know, wrestling was my exhaust. That's like where I let everything out. That was my creativity. That was my art form. Um, and without that, super frustrated, having, having to bottle up a bunch of stuff, not getting to express myself the way that I wanted to express myself. So I started taking all the music I'd been writing, bought a microphone, bought some recording software, um, started making beats, started r- recording music, slowly started releasing music, got on my first rap show. Fuck, man, here we are. But uh, I have a lot of questions. First of all, the crossover between hip hop and wrestling is really interesting because there are similarities in terms of like braggadociousness, like in rap music and wrestling exists. I just, I don't know if you know this guy, Peter Rosenberg. I just interviewed him. He's, he's like the hot 97 DJ in Manhattan. He's also a WWE commentator. I think there is a great, interesting crossover between wrestling and hip hop, you know, expression performance wise. Obviously, hip-hop is poetry, hip-hop is music, hip-hop is a different art form. I was a kid, I loved wrestling as a kid, and I loved hip-hop as a kid. Yeah. And I liked the crews in similar ways. Like, I liked the hip-hop crews, and I liked the wrestling crews, and I like I also liked superheroes. And I think all those things are kind of connected. Yep. But I guess they are, dude. this is a show about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, though. Yeah. When did uh, using come in? Hip-hop, wrestling, or using? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of partying and drugs and alcohol and bullshit in both the wrestling and the hip hop culture. Sure. So I guess like I started drinking and, you know, smoking weed and stuff like that when I was in the wrestling business. Like I saw a lot of drugs and crazy shit like in in wrestling locker rooms and on the road and at wrestling after parties and stuff like you hear stories about, you know, rock stars and their parties and shit. That's fucking nothing compared to the way that pro wrestlers party. It's, it's looks, it's 
dismal in comparison. Like it's fucking nuts. I got to interview uh, Jake the Snake Roberts once, and uh, holy you know, shit, he fucking brings the fucking dopey. When's the first time you got hot? Probably just smoking weed with one of the boys, like um, after a show or or something like that. I'm just trying to fucking. There's got to be the first time I got high. Actually, you know what? I think the first time I got high was probably like grade nine or grade 10. I think that like we all just used to hang out in like a homie's basement and uh, one and we just used to like whatever, smoke weed and just chill out down there and just do do kid shit. And uh, one of the guys, he's actually passed away now from from an overdose. He owned a, uh, a, a weed store in Canada and I worked at the weed store. Oh, man. that's where I got the lowdown on like all of the dope shit, like the salvia and the Kratom and like all the weird, like legal substances, the spice and all that shit. Like that was all coming through our store. And like, so that's where I kind of got the DL on like all that shit. So yeah. Smoking weed with like my friends just as a recreational fun thing became like a fucking way of life working at like the weed store where like we were always fucking high we were smoking weed before work we were smoking weed fucking on lunch breaks on coffee breaks like yeah all the fucking the whole thing during you know? work sure you know it, i don't ever remember there being i remember the first time i got fucking drunk for sure what was that i was just like at a party when i was like 16 and we were just like one of the first fucking house parties that like any of us had went to and i got a I got a fake ID. So I went into the liquor store and I bought a 24 pack of Smirnoff ice in cans. Okay. And took that to a party and fuck me, dude. I think I, I probably drank 18 of those fucking things. I almost died. I got a, I got like alcohol poisoning. That party ended up going from that house to like a hotel. And we were just drinking in this hotel, like this fucking stupid kids. Sure. And I remember that like, it got to a point where like, you know, I was passing out and bl- I was walking and I'd blink and I had moved a hundred feet and blink again. And I moved a hundred feet. I was throwing up blood. Like I had like alcohol poisoning and, uh, I, I, I probably should have died that night, but I woke up the next day and I was like, well, that was fucking awesome. Right. Um, <laughs> Perfect I, reaction. Like, right? yeah, I was like, I'm definitely doing that again. And then, um, just that that was my thing was 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 alcohol i just really got into to drinking and there was other fuck ups along the way with some pres- prescription pills and shit like that but my big thing was always was always drinking so what was the pills situation just working up north on the oil rigs and shit you know bunch of construction workers we were fucking a hundred miles from civilization, like in the middle of the fucking forest, uh, building an overflow camp. I was a carpenter. We were building an overflow camp for the guys that worked at the oil rigs at Syncrude and Suncor and all these big uh, oil places. That, that's when the oil boom was was it was really fucking rocking, and they couldn't get enough guys to go to Fort McMurray um, and in northern Alberta to deal with these oil rigs. So. Um, everybody was getting a job it was sort of like the first time that uneducated people and i mean uneducated in the sense that you didn't have to go to university you didn't have to go to college and there was an opportunity to make a fucking boatload of money right so that was that was the first time that people that weren't experts in anything in particular could get a job be making fucking 10 dollars a month so we're all up there 
building this overflow camp because the, the, the oil rigs have got so many employees now that they need places to house guys. So we're in the middle of fucking nowhere building an overflow camp for these guys to live. And we're a hundred miles from civilization in the middle of the forest. Like we're, you know, we're having to shut down work in the middle of the day. Cause there's bears and shit roaming onto the site. Like it, it's like fucking intense. And there's nothing to fucking do up there. There's no TV. There's no fucking radio. There's no internet recreational activities. That, yeah. There's fuck up. There's fuck, fuck all. Like, unless like you're bringing a keyboard and a computer from your house, which I ended up doing and made some music up there. Unless if you're not bringing your own shit to camp to keep yourself, you know, stimulated, there's fucking nothing to do. So a lot of us would drink, man. And, and it was beautiful out there. You're in the middle of nowhere. You can fucking, light shit on fire blow shit up and fucking you know there's a river you can go fishing like that's really that's all there is to do so we're out there just getting fucking plastered all the time and then one of the guys was like an ex-military dude and he had like some fucking yeah i think he said he had brain aneurysms or some shit whether that was fucking real or not who fucking knows but he would go to the doctor and he'd get scripts for like oxys and somas and shit like that and then he'd bring him back to the camp and we were all so fucking dumb at that point in time that we didn't understand that we'd all get drunk and he'd be like hey you want like one of these oxys you want one of these oxys and we'd be like what what's that and he's like oh it's just like a fucking painkiller like you just you get a buzz off it when you're drinking so we'd be like okay like sure i'll i'll take one of those things but fucking but before you know it it's like Every time you're drinking, you're taking these pills with that guy. And then all right. of a sudden they're not fucking free anymore. All of a sudden it's a, all of a sudden it's 20 bucks for an oxy. And all the guys are fucking rushing to his room at 5 a.m. before we go to work, pounding on the door. Hey, you got any oxys? And like then you got 30 guys on site and everybody's fucked on prescriptions, building this fucking thing, using heavy machinery. Fucking dangerous, yes. dude. Yeah, don't you see that the bottle says do not use heavy machinery? Yeah. Um, totally. And, uh, but you didn't develop a habit for oxys or anything at that point. You know what, man? Like, I think that like, I think the power of the mind is like, is really fucking important because I think if I would have realized, Hey, this shit's essentially heroin and that's really fucking addictive. And this is like a very dangerous substance that you're fucking around with. If I would have known those things, maybe I would have fucking got addicted. But I didn't know that that shit was like heroin. I didn't know that it was like addictive. I didn't know you could develop a, a dependency. And because that didn't exist in my brain, it just never fucking hooked me like that. So like I would take some fucking oxys and get drunk and fucking party with the guys and have a great time. And if I didn't fucking take oxys for fucking four days, I didn't get dope sick. I didn't have withdrawals. I didn't fucking deal with any of that shit. I literally think it was because it was like, I, I heard this this story one time about Christopher Columbus like sailing into the, the the shores of North America and all of the Native Americans were like standing on the shores and they didn't see the boats coming because they'd never seen it before. They had no knowledge. They had nothing to contextualize. They had no reference point for what they were looking at. So they didn't fully realize what was happening and the danger that they were potentially going to be in. And I kind of feel like that's kind of what went on with those oxys is that I was just taking it and having fun and partying 
completely oblivious and ignorant to the fact that what I was taking and the potential ramifications it would have on my life. So, you know, there was like, we, we did it pretty consistently for a couple months, but then the fucking job ended and so did taking oxys. You know what I mean? Right. So you never became addicted to Oxycontin, which is good. Um, which is good. But the drinking yeah. stuck. <laughs> right. So like, how did the alcoholism develop? And I, I think, I mean, like there are so many aspects of your story that it's just ridiculously inspiring. And, and the, the story is nuts to me, but I, I don't, I never heard the end of the alcoholism or even just the alcoholism in general and how you kind of coped as a using alcoholic and wrote hip hop and performed. Like, what was that stage like? I was just super fucking high functioning. Once again, I think that my ignorance probably saved me a little bit. It was a slow burn. I think that sometimes people get addicted to something and it happens all at once and really suddenly and intensely and they're fucking in it. And for me, it was just like I was drinking and I really liked it. And I would associate, you know, all the best times that I was having uh, with getting drunk and and drinking with my friends. And I never looked at it as, oh, I need to drink. I need to get drunk. I always looked at it as, I want to have a good fucking time. And I knew that alcohol always like accelerated that and set that off. Right. So it was a slow thing, man. You know, at first it was like drinking, you know, whatever, a couple beers, shot of whiskey, whatever. And then it was, you know, drinking 12 beers and fucking six shots of whiskey. And then it was, drinking 12 beers at home before we went to the bar and then drank another 12 beers and more whiskey. And it, this whole shit is like very slowly over time, built up and built up and built up and built up and built up to the point where like, I'm getting home from the bar or whatever at fucking three, four in the morning, drinking more when I get to the house, putting my headphones on, setting up my microphone. Like I got a computer here that like, I went back and listened like it's the computers, you know, six, seven years old or whatever. I, I went back and listened to like a lot of those things I was recording and like, I couldn't understand a fucking word I was saying. I was so fucked up. Um, and I, I have all of those sessions still on my computer where it's just like, I got home, I was fucking wasted and I'd put on my fucking headphones and record a bunch of music. that was fucking, you could not decipher the words. I was so fucking drunk. Um, and you know, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd always have a couple beers next to my bed. So when I woke up, I just grab a beer, crush that fucking go out. Like just a really slow fucking thing that, and that I didn't even really realize that it was happening until it was fucking way too late. And what was, I mean, it's, that's the classic alcoholic progression. You know what I mean? Like it's classic alcoholic progression. How did you know? when it was too late like what what made you be like fuck i need to take a look at this i need to do something like how when did it catch up with you and how never dawned on me until i had like this what this one moment where i was partying all night got home was drinking at the house i got up out of my bed and when i sat up like the whole fucking room went like and i like kind of like f fell over and like put my hand down and i was like what the fuck is going on? Right. Like this was like way beyond some like dizzy from being drunk shit. This was like something else. And all of a sudden, like my heart starts fucking racing. Boom, 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 boom. And I can hear it in my fucking ears. 
and I get like this tunnel vision and I fucking get up off the bed and I had all of these, I was living in this shitty little basement suite at the time. And I had all of these boxes of CDs that I had purchased of my CDs that I was going to try to sell so I could make money. Didn't fucking sell any of them. So I had 900 copies of this CD in boxes and I would stack them up in my room and put a blanket over them. And that's what I was using as like a table or like a work surface. And so I had like my computer, my microphone and all this decorations and shit sitting on top of these boxes covered with a blanket. And I fell into the boxes and fucking pushed everything off the shelf, put my fucking hands on the wall and the whole fucking felt like I was like on a boat. The whole place was moving. And I'm like mentally just fucking freaking the fuck out because I'm not, I felt I think I'm dying. And I'm like, holy shit, like I got to fucking what the fuck? So I like walk out of the bedroom, barely make it through the house into the bathroom, grab on the fucking sink and look at myself in the mirror. And my face is so fucking white that I literally don't recognize myself, which is triggering all types of shit in my head. And I start freaking out even worse. Boom, 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 boom. Fucking hearts going. I'm like, I can't fucking breathe. My legs are feeling weak. I take it every step I take. It feels like I weigh a fucking million pounds. Completely lost touch with reality. Like completely. Like it, it, it was a complete fucking mental unraveling, like just completely done. And this is really fucked up. I don't think I ever really talked about this, but what ended up happening was I laid on the floor because I couldn't carry my weight with my phone in my hand. Um, and I had 911 dialed on my phone. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, if I start to like fucking nod off or like, you know, getting pain in my chest, or if this gets any more fucked up than it already is, I'm just going to hit fucking call on 911. Hopefully they're going to fucking find me here on the fucking floor and whatever. You know what I mean? So I'd actually, at some point in time, I'd scribbled a note for the EMTs or whoever would potentially find me that just said, like, I've been drinking. This is what happened. This is my name. This is my parents' phone number. Like, fucking preparing to, like, die. Like, it was, like, fucked up. So... I, I start to like feel a little bit better. My body starts to feel like not as heavy. I close the fucking 911 on my phone, but I keep the note at the door just in case. This is fucked up. But what ended up happening was I walked from the bathroom to my bedroom. I turned on the lights in my bedroom. Then I walked back to the bathroom, look at myself in the mirror, walked back to the bedroom, didn't like how the bedroom felt with the lights on, turned the lights off walked back to the bathroom, turned the lights off in the bathroom, walked back to the bedroom. It felt scary with the lights off, turned the lights back on, walked back to the bathroom, turned the lights back on, looked at myself in the mirror, walked back to the bed. This cycle right. is back and forth from the bedroom to this is like a psychotic episode. Right. Like, like, and I, I walked that those laps until like eight 30 or nine in the morning did not stop. The entire time, acute, acute anxiety, complete detachment from the world around me, like total anything break. else. Yes. Gone, gone. So then I ended up like laying down and I had like an iPad sitting next to the bed and I put Jimmy Fallon on just something mindless that like I could try to like Relax. sleep to. Yeah. Yeah. Which didn't work, but I kept telling myself, you know, you're going to go to bed. You're going to wake up tomorrow and everything's going to be fucking fine. You're going to be back to normal. 
But I went to sleep and I woke up and I didn't feel normal again. I felt as bad, if not worse, than the fucking night before. So that ended up, I called my, my dad was sailing around the world at this, at this point in time. He was on this big sailing trip. And I ended up calling my mom that morning and she didn't pick up. And I left a real fucking scary voicemail on her phone. Just saying that like, hey, like uh, something's wrong. And like, I don't know what it is. And I don't know what's going to happen, but something is wrong. And uh, at that point, I pretty much cut off everyone. Stopped talking to my friends. They could call. I wouldn't answer. I did not leave that apartment at all. Were you drinking in that period or, or smoking weed? Or were you just total in a, a psychotic, paranoid drink? Right. Yeah, d- done. I quit everything. Everything. Like that day, no more drinking, no more smoking weed, no more smoking cigarettes, no more fast food, no more soda, no more coffee, nothing. Like horrified, like s- terrified of everything. Right. So like, and that got to the, the point where like my mom called my dad and she was like, yo, like this is what's going on with Thomas. I don't know what the fuck, how to deal with it. Like it's, it's, it's bad. And then, you know, I talked to my dad a few times, like he would like, literally was like you know 250 miles off the fucking coast of civilization and he's like sailing in so he can get on phones and call me and be like what the fuck is going on so i end up going to a doctor and telling this doctor what the fuck's going on and i think i was misdiagnosed they they told me that i had gad generalized anxiety disorder and they gave me ciprolex for it and uh, okay. that was supposed to fucking solve the problem. And that fucking made everything worse. The Ciprolex made me like manic. I was never depressed. I was scared. Right. I had anxiety. And Ciprolex is like. It's like panic attack disorder or something. Like yeah, that. but it was like con- it was constant. Like there was no break in it. It was never like, oh, and I feel okay for five minutes <gasps> and it's back. It was fucking acute mental unwellness 24-7 consistently so they 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 gave me the ciprolex and i took it and i remember i was talking to my roommate one time and i was so fucking jacked up on the ciprolex because it's got the serotonin just fucking just like pumping through me that i was talking to him and i got so fucking excited about what i was talking to i punched the fucking door frame that i was standing into my bedroom (laughs) and fucking and broke my pinky finger Cause I was so fucking jacked up. And then I was like, Whoa, like what the fuck? Like that wasn't normal. So I went back to the doctor and this whole time, you know, I'm like talking to my folks and telling them what's going on and still very fucking scary and new and not, you know, figuring any of this shit out. I go back to the doctor. I tell him what happened to Ciprolex. I, I was getting these like from the Ciprolex. I, I would feel literally a rush from my fucking brain like down my fucking neck like into my body like like this blast of like fucking manic energy so i told him about all this shit and he's like okay like uh, we'll take you off the ciprolex and he put me on fucking seroquel right antipsychotic yeah and i had this video shoot that i had to be on and i hadn't been out of the house in fucking weeks at this point and but I can't cancel this video shoot. It's still like, it's of paramount importance in my life, the music shit, whether I'm fucked up or not fucked up, I had to do the music thing. So I go to this, this music video shoot 
it's like the worst video shoot that you could possibly imagine because for this treatment that I wrote, it was this song called How the West Was Won. And it was a reenactment of the shooting that took place in, in Paris. Yeah. The Queens of the Stone Age. Yep. They, and they went in yeah. and fucking yeah. slaughtered everyone. Um, and, yeah. and so we were doing a piece like that, which required, you know, a hundred people to be in the room with me and me standing up on stage in front of a hundred fucking people after being alone in my apartment in the midst of a fucking psychosis for fucking weeks at this point in time. So standing up in, on, a, on a stage in front of a bunch of people is, is like, that's nightmare scenario, but I do it. And the doctor said like, Hey, like the Seroquel shit, take it situationally, like when you need it. And for the, the, these last couple of weeks, bro, like I'm not fucking talking to anyone. I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping. I'm not anything like totally fucked. So I'm at this video shoot and I'm doing my best to fucking keep the wheels on the thing and failing at it miserably. And, uh, I remember like walking out of the front doors of the venue and standing on the sidewalk. And I had my friend with me and I said, Hey, I'm going to take one of these fucking Seroquels. Cause like you're bugged out. Yeah. I'm not going to make it through this shit. So I fucking take the Seroquel and stand there for about 10 minutes, start to feel like a little bit better, weirdly better. Still don't feel like myself but I feel less like the fucking lunatic that I've been for the last three weeks. So go up the stairs, walk into this fucking venue and I take a step and it's like, boom. And I fall down. No, no, I fucking, I, I go like all of my body weighs like a fucking kajillion yeah, yeah, pounds. Yeah. Like yeah. I take one yeah. step and it's like, whoosh. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I take another yeah. step. Boom. And like, you know, like when you fucking turn your head, everything stays as it is. But I fucking turned my fucking head and the whole fucking room went like it was like a freeze frame. And I was like, holy fuck. And I remember like walking up to the guy who was directing at the time. And I'm usually the director, but I had a director there because I knew I wasn't capable. And I said to him. Hey, I got to go. I'm having a fucking panic attack. I have to leave. Get everything fucking set up. Shoot everything that you can shoot without me. I'll come back at the end to shoot my part. He's like, okay, cool. And then I blink and I'm fucking in a vehicle with my friend. And I'm like looking at blazing hot, sunny day. And the sun's coming in through the window shield. Shit's like burnt into my brain. I remember it like it was fucking yesterday. And I'm looking at the sun through the branches and shit. And I like turn and look at him. And he's like, are you good? And I was like, yeah. And I blink and I'm fucking stumbling through my backyard and I blink and the keys in the thing. And I walk into the house and that's it. That's the last thing I remember. And then like fucking four or five hours later, my homies shaking me, wake up, wake up, wake up. I'm like, yo, what's, what's up? He's like, they're ready for you on set. Like, we got to go. And I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> like, like, let's go. And I woke up at this weird, fucking life felt really placid for like the first time in like a long time. I had this synthetic calmness like about myself that like I could still feel yeah. shit raging in the background, but it wasn't like reaching the surface. It was like surface. on mute. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's do yeah, it. I've taken Seroquel. 
yeah, it's I'm with you. Yeah, it's fucking gnarly, dude. So I went and did the shoot and fucking everything was fine. Uh, but when I got home, I was like, well, I'm never taking that fucking shit again ever. That was fucked up. So I never take it again. And the fucking, it comes off of mute and it comes back fucking loud. And, you know, like I had one friend to come over one time. Um, and he sat on the couch in my living room and I sat on my bed in my bedroom and talked to him through my open door. Like I couldn't even be in the same room as somebody. Um, and it was getting like so gnarly and I was like falling further and further down this hole that like something bad was going to happen, dude. Like I was going to fucking kill myself. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I couldn't. It was just, it was too, I just could not fucking do it. And I'd probably made some veiled references to like, I remember my way of saying that is things are so bad right now that I don't know what's going to happen if they get worse. And I probably said that a few times. And my mom was like, uh, you know, told my dad and my dad was like, okay, I'm fucking coming home. Like I'm parking the fucking boat. I'm going to sell it wherever the fuck I am. I'll sell it. I'll fly home. I got to take care of Tom. Like my dad's my fucking best friend, my biggest fan. Like he's, he would fucking go to the end of, end of the fucking earth for me. And when my mom said, Thomas, you either fucking come home or your dad is going to fucking end this trip. And this is like a trip that my dad's been preparing for, for fucking his whole life. Like this is his dream. Like this is it. And I, there's no way in fuck that I'm like going to allow my dad to fuck up his dream for me because I'm a fucking idiot. So my mom tells one of my friends, go to fucking Thomas's house break in, pack his fucking bags, take him to the fucking airport and fucking get him on a, get him on a fucking plane. You were in California then? No, I was in Canada. Where were you at? I was in uh, uh, Vancouver, BC. And my, and my folks lived in Alberta. Right. So I went home and stayed with my mom uh, for nine months. And it was hell. Like, I've said it before. I said four words to my mom every fucking day. That's literally it. She'd wake me up in the morning before she went to work. She'd say, how are you doing? And I'd say, not good. And then she'd come home from work at 6 or 7 p.m. She'd walk through the door and say, how are you doing? I'd say, not good. And that was it. Four words a day for fucking months and months and months. And the day was just riddled with panic. Still no alcohol, no weed, no nothing. Just panic. All fucking day long. Like still couldn't fucking eat still couldn't fucking sleep like dude when i'm laying down in bed at night i'm like not even fucking sleeping i'm waiting for like the fucking next day to happen and like this is how fucked up it is i got a fucking laptop next to my bed playing like rom-coms like all the dumbest fucking romantic comedies from fucking the nineties and early two thousands that you could, it's just straight fucking good vibes. And I'm trying to soak up as much of that shit as I can. Right. So I got fucking rom-coms playing on the fucking laptop next to the bed. And I got a phone sitting on the pillow next to my head, playing a fucking podcast simultaneously. That couldn't have been good. I'll, that couldn't have been good for your brain anyway, but keep going. Bro, it's all, it's all I could fucking do. I literally could not handle silence. I could not fucking handle silence. You needed if there something, was a, right? You needed something in your ear. I got you. And if there was only one thing to fucking concentrate on, 
it felt like that one thing was commanding my attention and I could not give my attention to one thing. So I had to have fucking options. Right. Right. I had to have, I felt like there was pressure on me to watch the fucking movie. If that's the only thing that was on. So I had the fucking podcast playing on my phone next to my head. I had the fucking laptop sitting right there and I'm tuning in and out from both of them fucking what all podcast? night. And t- I don't remember. Dopey? Not dopey. A different podcast. <laughs> it is the dopey podcast. Dude, I'm like through the fucking anxiety, I'm fucking forcing myself to like research this shit. And I'm reading all about different fucking mental health problems. Like, because I don't know what the fuck's going on right now. I don't know if I have schizophrenia, if I have some sort of panic disorder. Like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Like, I'm not fucking making music at all. I've completely fucking abandoned that. I've come to terms with the fact that, like, this is very likely my life now. I don't think that I'm ever going to fucking, you know. You're done. Make you don't music think you're going to get out of it. You're not going to. Forget making music. Are you ever going to enjoy a minute of your life, right? exactly exactly and every moment felt like a fucking eternity dude it would like be crazy i'd be like sitting on the couch feeling fucking like in total anguish and i'd like look at the clock and like fucking two minutes had gone by and it felt like a fucking lifetime like it was fucked so i'm researching this shit and i'm reading books i'm reading the power of now i'm reading fucking all these types of self-help fucking power of positivity fucking blah 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 and in Canada, the healthcare system is like a lot different. So I'm like, I need to fucking see a therapist. I need to talk to somebody. And because all of those types of services are covered by your fucking medical plan in Canada, which you pay into with your taxes and da 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 It's like, cool. You get when you need a fucking cat scan. Well, that's free. You need a fucking um, uh, uh, meeting with a, a therapist. That's fucking free. But guess what? You might probably not going to talk to him for six fucking months. And you're probably right. not going to get that fucking CAT scan for fucking eight weeks or whatever the so, fucking case may be. So all of us, all of this, uh, the, the U.S. people who say how great it is in Canada, you're saying maybe not so great. I'm just kidding. No, it's, no, it's fucking horrible. All right. And I, and That's I, good. And I, all my anti-Canadian I think, sentiment is finally on the money. I'm with you. No, no, I shut up. I love Canada, but the healthcare system's fucked up. And don't, and don't get me wrong, bro. Like the United States, in my opinion, is the greatest fucking country in the world. It's given me everything that I've ever wanted. But as progressive and as cutting edge as America is, they should be fucking ashamed of their healthcare system as well. It's it's sure, it is it's fucking fucked. it's it's fucked. But if you need something and you need something fucking immediately, at least you can get it here. So you just have to pay for would, it eventually. Exactly. Exactly. And, and and but but whatever money is no fucking object when you're like on the fucking brink of fucking suicide every fucking day. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. um, so you'll find a fucking way to get it one way or another. So, um, I, that, that was fucking heartbreaking for me. Cause I was like, I need to talk to a therapist. And when they tell me, Oh, well we got fucking openings fucking five and a half months from now. I'm like, dog, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the next two days. It gets to a point where like, I'm like, I need something and I need something right fucking now. I need something that's going to like, I need somebody to save my life. I, I need it. Like, it's like, I can't fucking do this anymore. So I like go to the doctor and I'm like, dude, like I, I, I need something like, can you give me fucking Ativan? Can you give me Ativan? Cause I've fucking been reading about this shit. I'm reading books. I'm researching. I'm taking all these fucking drugs. Nothing's working. I'm fucking meditating. I'm exercising. I'm still fucked up. 
Like I can't talk. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I need something. Can you give me fucking Ativan? Can you fucking give that to me? And I'm like begging people at this point. I don't want the Ciprolex. I don't want the fucking Seroquel. I can't talk to a doctor, uh, a therapist for fucking six months. I need something that's going to fucking save my life today because I'm not going to fucking see tomorrow if you can't give it to me. So he's like. So why Ativan? Why Ativan and not Clonopin or Xanax or Valium? Why, why Ativan? It just seemed like Ativan was the fucking younger brother of like a lot of those big, scary ones. And Ativan's awesome. I remember my, my wife. Like when I started dating her, she had Ativan and I would be like, oh, can I come over and <laughs> get some Ativan? Yeah. It was like, I, I loved it. You know, my wife is beautiful, but the Ativan was incredibly attractive <laughs> to me. So did he give you, did he give you the Ativan? Yeah, he did. He gave me a fucking, nice. he gave me 10 of them, which is fucking crazy. You know what? I got to give credit where credit's due. And that doctor did a fucking incredible job. She did the blood pressure medication. He did the other shit to block the fucking adrenaline. Like he's doing, he's doing everything he can so that he's not going to make a fucking addict out of me. He, you know, he's doing everything. But so he goes, look, man, and I've seen doctors since then, bro, where like I was on fucking tour one time and I was having wicked panic. Um, and I went to a fucking doctor and the doctor of the hospital gave me a bottle of 30 and said, take three a day. And they were like, and they were like one mig fucking Ativans. And I was like, what the fuck, bro? Like, why would you just give me that and tell me to take, that's fucking insane. Um, so anyways, that was way after the fact. Back then he goes, yeah, okay, cool. I'll give you 10 and I'm going to give you 0.5, which is like the weakest fucking Ativan that you can get. So I'm like, okay. It's a non-addictive small dose. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I'm oh. with you. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. Thank you. Gives them to me. I go home that fucking day. Uh, I, like I said, I don't do well with medication. So I wait until my mom gets home from work. And when my mom gets home from work, I say, Hey, I got this bottle of fucking Ativan. I'm going to take one of them right now. After my bad experiences with the Ciprolex and the Seroquel and da, 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 keep an eye on me after I take this Ativan and make sure that I don't fucking wig out or have a seizure or some fucked up shit. And she's like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, I'll keep an eye on you. So I take this fucking Ativan dude. And 15 minutes later, for the first fucking time in seven months, I felt like myself. Like, oh my God. It was like fucking, I am not like miraculous. It was a fucking miracle. Like, I, I'm, I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not like a big uh, uh, pharmaceutical like pill guy and shit, but I definitely think that like they have a fucking place. And if fucking used properly, you know, it's a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, but it offered me an opportunity to be calm enough for long enough uh, where I could at least survive until I could get to therapy. And, you know, I got a tattoo on my stomach and it says, um, if you don't know where the fire started, you will surely burn in it. And I had to figure out where that fucking fire was burning at, dude. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without that fucking Ativan. It slowed you down so you can reintegrate yourself into your body and your brain. So, like, you take the 10. Do you need another prescription right away? Uh, like, how, how did that go after you took the first 10? Yeah, I had to. I went back, dude. And and I got more at and it. And how, how fucking good. How good was it when you were finally back in your head? Dude. And you're not needing two things at once. And you probably could talk to your mother it's like how, I mean, like even just hearing the story, I feel relieved for you. Like what was, 
describe that like coming back dude it's just like i had completely like forgot who i was bro i had no idea who i was anymore i felt like the person that used to like live inside me was gone and now i'm just like the shell of this person it looks like tom it fucking sounds like tom but it's not like it's just like a fucking hologram of like who that person was it's like a physical representation of what tom looks like and that's it so when i took that fucking ativan literally for the first time in seven months i was like i remembered who i was i remember what i felt like i remember oh my god like holy shit it was like my fucking soul like came back into my fucking body and i was like oh my god i can fucking maybe i could fucking make music again Maybe I can fucking go see my fucking friends again. Maybe I can say more than fucking four words to my mom every day. Maybe I can fucking eat food that I like again. Maybe I can get a good night's sleep. Like it was like literally felt like a second lease on fucking life. But with that fucking newfound bravery, I no longer felt like it was necessary to not drink anymore. Mm. Uh, I no longer felt like it was necessary to not smoke and smoke weed and da, 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 da. So like I got, you know, a false sense of confidence and I never, you know, drank heavy like I used to drink, but I drank again and I smoked weed again and I partied again and I started living my fucking life. Like, like the, like, like life didn't just fucking be like, Hey, idiot. I just taught you like a huge fucking lesson. You were literally knocking on death's door, asshole. Now you're out here fucking doing the same shit all over again. And, uh, you know, Ativan became like a fucking way of life, bro. Like, and that mental unraveling, like it fucking weakened me whether I wanted to like admit it or not. Like I was fucking bulletproof for fucking 25 years, bro. Fucking bulletproof. There wasn't a fucking goddamn thing in the world that could touch me at all. I wasn't fucking afraid of anything. I wasn't fucking afraid of anybody. I didn't have any overwhelming emotions that I had difficulty dealing with. Nothing. I was fucking bulletproof. But that fucking mental break, I likened it to, it's like dropping a fucking plate on the ground and it smashes into 30 pieces. And the Ativan and the therapy and the research and all the bullshit helped me glue that, that plate back together. And it looks like the same fucking plate. It sure looks like it. But it's a broken plate. But you put a couple pieces of fucking fruit or something on that plate and it's going to start to crack and rattle and it's going to fucking fall apart again. So I would get like a headache and all of a sudden I'd be like, why do I have this headache? I got fucking brain cancer. I got a brain tumor. What the fuck's going on here? That fucking mental breakdown was the first time in my fucking life where I was like, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be fine. But it fucking wasn't. It was worse. And that caused like some sort of fucking PTSD that like this trauma, sure. yeah, this trauma had occurred. And prior to that in my life, every time that there was trauma, it would dissipate. But this time it didn't. It got worse and worse and worse and worse. So now I'm using that situation as the reference point for every other situation in my life now. If I get a headache, it's got to be fucking brain cancer. I'm dying. If I get a fucking bruise, it's got to be leukemia. I'm fucking dying. I, 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 catastrophizing I work out. every little circumstance, everything as bad as it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wake up and I'm like, 
you know, my hands are a little shaky one day or my legs feel weak and I'm like, fuck, I got MS or I got diabetes or I got blah, 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 blah. So it starts this whole thing of like constantly getting blood work done and fucking every time I have a fucking headache, I'm taking a fucking Ativan instead of taking a fucking Tylenol because the pain right. doesn't fucking matter to me. It's the crazy shit that's going on in my head that's paralyzing me. So like now I'm fucking taking Ativan constantly to deal with these little small nu nuisances in my life. And I essentially got fucking addicted to the goddamn Ativan. Um, so well, Ativan will do that to you. Ben benzos, benzos will do it to you, right? Yeah, quickly. So, you know, that's and, and are you rapping during, during that period? You're rapping, you're writing rhymes, you're performing. Yep. And, it, and, and probably it's part of the culture anyway. Like Benzos rose in, in hip hop culture and like partying and like, so it's like you're kind of in this universe of getting high anyway, right? It was fucking perfect because I was just like, you know, all the all this shit these guys were talking when Tupac was talking about shooting guns and selling drugs and pimping hoes and bullshit like that, like and I couldn't relate to that. That's where the disconnect was. But now all this shit these rappers are talking about, drinking lean, taking Zannies, blah, 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 blah. Perfect. I'm really fucking doing that shit. Because I have to. Yeah. So now I can talk right. about that shit just like those guys are talking about that shit. And it's honest. So I made a bunch of music about fucking bro. Like I had an album that never fucking came out that was called Teacups. And it was a fucking photo of three teacups on a table from the top down. And there was fucking blue pills, pink pills, and yellow pills filling up the teacups. And that was what the fucking album was called. And all of the fucking music was centered around fucking the drugs I was taking and fucking, you know. I was trying to convince myself in those songs that it was fun taking this shit, but it wasn't fun, but it was my only, uh, well, it, it was, it was supposed to be the cure for your fucking mental illness. And then it, it became the cure for everything. Then it becomes a habit. And like, where is the boundary between getting high, getting well and being addicted? Exactly. You never get high at that point. And it's certainly not a good time. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So as of right now, like I, I haven't drank in fucking, Fuck, it's got to be like a couple years, dude. Like, I, I don't keep track of it. What about the Ativan? Um, see, the, the thing that happened with the Ativan was I got fucking Ativan fucking sitting right over there, dude. I got two bottles of this shit. You've got this disorder. You need, I mean, so you take it as prescribed. Not really. Like, what, what ended up happening was I was, I went from taking fucking one or two a day down to fucking one a day down to one every other day down to cutting them in fucking half every other day to cutting them into quarters and like licking dust off my finger to the point where I haven't taken it in probably close to the amount of time when I quit drinking, probably like a year, a year and a half, but I keep the fucking things on deck just in case it's like just a fucking case. safety sure. blanket. Like everywhere I go, man, it's in my fucking pocket. It's in my bag. Well, it's like, it's like an EpiPen or something or like a fucking, uh, in case of emergency break glass. When, when, when you started quitting alcohol and Ativan, was there any, was there, were you still doing therapy? Was there 12 step? I've seen videos you've done where you kind of do the 12 step thing in the video. Like, was that part of your recovery or no? No, did, no. did, did never, um, take part in a program didn't didn't ever do anything like that see for me it was uh it was fucking really easy well not easy but i didn't need uh like a group setting or anything like that like 
I've always been like a fucking loner. I like to hang out by myself. I got so fucking scared, like so fucking scared, so intensely all at once that like, that's like all I needed. I'm a, I have an addictive personality. If I find something I fucking like, I will do it as often as possible as much of it as I can, as a hundred percent to the fucking max. And there's nothing that's going to fucking stop me from doing it aside from death. So like when I looked at it, when I looked dead in the eyes of fucking that first mental breakdown and I was like, I'm going to fucking die or I'm going to fucking kill myself. Like one of the two, that's my two options out of here. That was scared me so bad that that allowed me to quit the drinking and smoking weed and partying. I quit everything all at once. It's done. And then when I sort of crept back into it, the fucking headaches and the brain tumor thing, once again, I was like <gasps> looking at fucking death in the eyes and I was like, holy shit, what the fuck? Um, I can't believe this is fucking happening again. And that scared right. me so fucking bad that that's all I needed. I just needed to be fucking, need somebody to grab me by the fucking shoulders and shake the shit out of me, bro. Like, Right. And there's no playbook. There's no absolute play. There's no one size fits all to addiction or recovery. It sounds like a seriously sincere bottom. And the story that I've heard, like that I love because it's such a dream kind of story is like you're broke and you have the half a cigarette and you go out on the porch and you smoke the fucking half a cigarette and you write dear rappers and you know, you've been struck with inspiration. How connected to abstinence sobriety recovery do you think the new vision for music was was it connected 100 percent, dude 100 percent. like it was two things it was one for the first time ever seeing that i almost fucking threw my life away to fucking drugs and alcohol uh and then finally looking at my life with the clear perspective for the first time ever i realized like oh that shit's really not that important to me and doing drugs is not that important and making music about doing drugs is not that important. So what is important to me and who is important to me and what kind of music do I want to make and who do I want to make it for? And like, what's my real fucking purpose here? I have something to fucking say and it's more than, hey, I'm taking a bunch of fucking Ativan and partying. Like what is fucking important to me? And on top of that, I was really fucking bitter um, for a long time, for years that alcohol and drugs were taken away from me. Right. And that's what I felt like. I did not make the fucking choice right. to quit doing drugs. I did not make the choice to quit fucking drinking alcohol. I felt like life fucking took it from me. And I was really fucking pissed off about that. That's like classic dry drunk, angry dry addict, like angry, yep. resentful, abstinent addict. And 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 that and how did how did that go away? I think what was through success, right? Through, I mean, like what I see, cause me and me, well, okay. Before you correct me, like when, when I started doing this podcast, I had four months sober, you know, I was a heroin addict for like 15 years and me and my friend would talk about, you know, like living the dream, you know what I mean? Like enjoying something about our lives. You know, I think my friend Chris called it self-actualization. And I feel like when you did dear rappers, that's what that was when your purpose is determined, your dream is realized and maybe the resentment kind of melts away because the joy is so fucking intense that you're doing what you're meant to be doing. I definitely think that's definitely, that's definitely part of it. 
I think because I felt like those things were taken from me, I've always done everything on my fucking terms. Nobody's ever made a decision for me ever. And I felt like that decision was made for me and I was really fucking angry about it. And I think part of it was that I felt like the best parts of me as a person were the things that came out when I was drunk or when I was partying, when I was life of the party and I was making people smile. I was making other people feel good. And I felt like I got robbed of like the best parts of who I was. And in part, Dear Rappers was inspired by, I was hearing these fucking guys, these rappers talk about fucking doing the fucking drugs and shit that I needed just to fucking make it through my fucking day. And I was hearing these guys talk about partying and drinking and like making all this money. And I was also hearing these guys talk about how fucking shitty their life was and how unhappy, unhappy they were. And it fucking really pissed me off. I was like, you guys are doing all the fucking shit that I wish that I could fucking do. I wish that I right. could get drunk with you guys. I wish I could take the pills that you guys take. I wish I could go to the parties where you guys are fucking partying. And I was pissed off about it. But these were all things that were just like sort of floating around in my subconscious that I was never really verbalizing them or like saying them. They were just manifesting in fucking anger and frustration and just surface level fucking emotional volatility. Um, and But that's pure expression. That's yeah, pure expression, you know, right. from that place to the paper. And that's why when you're done writing the song, you were like, I know I have some fucking different thing right here. Dude, Something was, like supercharged with life. It was fucking like, I used to like watch like MTV and like much music and shit when I was a kid. And they do these episodes called Born to Be. And it was like these stories of like these artists and like what they'd been through to get to where they were and shit. And I always just thought like, so amazing and like they really were born to be and like those stories really are like one in a million and i just was always just enamored by it and just thought like i hope something like that could happen for me one day and i didn't realize at the time that i was in the middle of my own story i didn't know and it was fucked up dude like me and nova were living in that house together and like seriously like fucking rats running across the floor and fucking bugs in all of our cupboards and shit like we had holes in the fucking ceiling water pouring through the, the roof into the kitchen and it like it was fucked and like i said i'd never verbalized any of those things that i was frustrated with in my head it was just like a fucking regular day dude it's like any other day we were just broke we you know, we, we, there, there was time we, we, we had to make some fucked up choices. Like we're either paying rent or we're getting groceries. Like our, our power would get cut off all the time. I've told this story a thousand times. Like we'd be living by candlelight for fucking three, four days at a time. Like I would plead with the fucking gas guy when he'd come to the house, shutting off the gas, I'd be out in the yard. Like, please, bro, please don't do this, man. Like I'll, I'll have the money. Just like, just leave the fucking shit on. Like, we used to have to fucking, I've told this before too, we used to plug our fucking fridge into an extension cord and we'd run it out the fucking back window of the house into the neighbor's garage and plug it in so our food didn't spoil. And for whatever reason, dude, that day, like whenever I sit down to write music, I think a lot about what I'm writing and how I want to say it. And a lot of thought goes into saying things properly and not taking what you're trying to say out of context or distorting it because you're trying to rhyme your thoughts and sometimes rhyming your thoughts distorts the message and there's complexities and subtleness about this type of shit. And for whatever reason, dude, 
I grabbed that fucking pack of cigarettes. There was fucking half of a cigarette in it that I'd smoked the night before and fucking snuffed out or whatever. And I went out and sat on the fucking front porch and lit it. And I think I had just watched like a fucking G easy video where he was just talking about like how fucking much of a party his life is and how much he doesn't enjoy it. And I sat down on the front step and I was just contemplating how many times I'd heard that same story from so many fucking rappers. And that's literally like the first thing I wrote down. I just sort of dear rappers. And I started writing this open letter to these fucking guys that I was just frustrated with. And I did not think about it. Like I said, that like a lot of times it's like a, it's a very thoughtful process. That day was like, and it sounds fucking stupid, but it was like literally like, the universe or God or whatever it was, something like spoke through me. Like I did not stop to think. I didn't think what rhymes with this word. I didn't think what would I like to say next? I didn't rewrite anything. I just fucking wrote that whole fucking thing in my phone. And I, by the time that cigarette was done, it was sitting on the fucking step next to me in the fucking ghetto. I like looked down at my phone at this song and gave it like a once over and it was like, oh my God. I jumped up and I fucking ran inside and I was like, Nova, 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 Nova. And she's like, comes out of the hallway and she's like, what? And I was like, I just fucking wrote the song. It's gonna fucking change our fucking lives. And then we need to fucking shoot a video to this. She's like, you haven't even recorded it yet. I said, set up the fucking camera and the backdrop. I'm gonna record it right now and we'll shoot it. I ran over, fucking recorded the song. Nova pulled the backdrop down, set up a light, fucking, shot the video that day i knew that i fucking had something i called my mom i called my sister i called my dad i called my best friend brandon called a couple other people and i borrowed 200 dollars from each person i borrowed 500 dollars from my sister my younger sister five years younger than me working as a full-time nurse her unemployed broke former addict, mentally unstable brother borrowed $500 yes. from her. Rapper, white rapper brother. Yes, right. I'm with you. And I took everybody's fucking money, which amounted to like $1,150. I put the video on Facebook the next day. I put that $1,150 onto an ad on Facebook. And fucking two days later, it had a fucking million views and our fucking life changed forever. So what came first, the love or the hate? For, for dear rappers, for for Tom McDonald, because oh, you're a lightning rod of controversy. I don't know how you're not in panic <laughs> all the time. Like, fucking I got hell. over it, bro. Um, right. So when dear rappers happened, you got a lot of love right off rip, and it was like the first time that anybody had really fucking criticized the status quo of hip hop on a platform that was reaching as many people as I was reaching. So I felt like. Well, Dear Rappers is definitely not all I have to say about the status quo of hip hop. So I'm going to do another one. And I made hell of it. And hell of it fucking went viral and got, um, you know, a million views too. And up until that point, it was largely positive. What started happening after hell of it was there was a whole fucking bunch of people. And I'm a complete fucking stranger to internet culture at this point in time, completely fucking ignorant to like the nuances of the internet communities and sort of what they're interested in and who they like and what they who they don't like and what you know what they like and what they don't so after making hell of it there's like a whole fucking bunch of people that all of a sudden were like hey this guy is targeting black rappers 
and talking shit about black rappers in his songs, which had never fucking dawned on me at all. Uh, I didn't even fucking think about it. I didn't that. even hear that. You know, I didn't hear that. I heard you talking about culture. You know what I mean? I heard you talking about this shit in hip hop that you didn't like. I mean, I never heard, I never heard real race in the, in the music, right. except like if I decide to look at the fact that you're white. That's you where know? that, that's where that started though. Because all of a sudden I was like, hold the fuck up. Like I'm not targeting, you know, rappers of a particular color. I'm like targeting rappers of a particular content, regardless of what, what color their skin is. That's fucking insane. That never even crossed my mind. So, but that shit got some real momentum and people really started to be like, this guy is a fucking racist. He's fucking targeting black rappers. He's talking shit about hip hop culture, which is black music. And this white dude thinks that he knows better and he's got the superiority complex and blah, 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 blah. And it became this fucking big thing. And I was fucking horrified. I was horrified of it at first. Um, it was the first time that I'd gotten any attention, let alone fucking negative attention. So I was like fucking floored. I was like in shock. And then that's when I was like, okay, all right. You guys want to talk about fucking race all fucking day long? Cool. I can do that too. And I gave him white boy. Yeah. And that shit lit a fucking raging fire on the internet. Like it was fucking nuts. I, and and I like that fucking, song. But I, I like that song. Yeah, me and like, too. Like I don't know. Like I still don't really understand the the racist commentary like i don't i don't get that sense from listening to your music you know what i mean like maybe like like i don't get that sense i think you're telling your experience you know what i mean like i don't i don't feel yeah. like what, what was their commentary that what were they like what did they accuse you of in in a song like that oh just that you know like just fucking racist white dude fucking talking about experiences that aren't his own and like he doesn't really have a voice in this conversation and he's you know there's so much white privilege and he's just like you know just like empty fucking he's a racist he's a privileged fucking white dude fucking blah blah this is the same old shit you know what i mean and at first like i was fucking aghast at that but when it's your first time fucking hearing people say shit about you like that, like if somebody goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you're, you're a kid. Like when I was getting fucking bullied by kids when I was young and they'd be like, oh, you're a fucking you're a loser. You're a fucking whatever. You're, 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 you're a fucking dork. You're a nerd, whatever. At first, you're like, fuck you. No, I'm not. But after you hear that shit fucking a thousand times, you're like, am I a loser? Am I a fucking nerd? Am I a geek? Am I a fucking dork? Am I all these things that people are calling me? Because there's sure as fuck a lot of people saying it. They can't all be fucking wrong. Am I those things? And you start believing that shit. You get like fucking brainwashed by people. You start really fucking believing what people are saying about you. And I went through that with White Boy. I really started feeling like, oh, fuck me, man. Like, Am I a racist? I'm a fucking... Yeah, am I a fucking racist? Do people fucking... Am I a fucking piece of shit? Am I fucking privileged? Am I all these fucking things that people are saying about me? What the fuck? Um, and that was that was grim. That was really that was a real dark fucking time for me, dude. Like, was that any Advan popping in that period? I, you fucking better believe it, bro. Right. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, that, that was tough. But then you get to a place where you're just like, all of a sudden, it kind of like, it hits you, and all of a sudden, you're just like, wait, wait, hold the fuck up. I'm not that shit. I'm certainly not that shit because you fucking say I am. Fuck you. 
So then I fucking, you know, I dropped fucking politically incorrect and I dropped everybody hates me and I fucking leaned into it. Oh, 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 you didn't like fucking white boy. Here's straight white male, bitch. Like I started fucking rolling on motherfuckers. There was definitely fucking points in time where I was like, I feel like there's some really fucking important conversations and some important discussions out there that people don't fucking have because they're worried about offending someone or they're worried about hurting somebody's feelings. Or they're worried about getting canceled. They're worried about whatever the fuck it is. And to me, it's like, okay, let's just come out the fucking gate with the most inflammatory shit possible. That's going to force you to fucking have these discussions. That's going to force that fucking dialogue to exist. And whether you decide to fucking talk about it with your friends for fucking three days and come up with some solutions to the world's problems, or you just want to sit around and bang it in your fucking truck on your way to work, whatever. I'll put the shit out into the world. You guys take it and run with it wherever you want to go with it. Right. And like a song like fake woke, like that, that the whole world kind of freaks out. Like what, like what's the worst thing that somebody has ever said about you? And like, what, what is the, the, what is the kernel? Is there a kernel of truth in the worst thing that anyone has said about you? <sighs> and if there is, what is it? And why are they misreading you so much? What do you think? Cause a lot of your message I get is we're all in this together and this is where I'm coming from. What do you think is misread? Um, or is it just like white rapper face tattoos? He thinks, you know, his hair, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think everything to some degree is like misread. Um, and I think that that is part of what music is. Like after I put it out into the world, it's like it's no longer mine. It's yours now. And you're free to do with it as you choose. You can distort it to serve your own prerogative or you can right. try to see what it is that i'm saying and agree with me or you can oppose me and still be like okay i'm gonna listen to the next song like you're free to do what the fuck you want with this i think there's there's such a it's such a fucking cool valuable way to um present your art that way so yeah i mean and like yeah. obviously you've reached people in a profound way the the new record was number one on billboard charts the brave with adam calhoun and um how do you feel? Like, do you feel proud? Like, do you feel good? Are you, are you concerned that the message is not received properly? Do you feel like, like, because you are such a hip hop head, is there any concern? Like, cause you love you. I mean, you came up loving black rap music, rap music in general was black. You know what I mean? Like, do you have any kind of like, uh, I really don't want to be read as this white racist. And does that ever, ever occur to you? I mean, nobody like <laughs> nobody <laughs> wants to be perceived as like the fucking racist rapper guy. Right, but right, I, right, right. Like I, you know, like I mean, I make the fucking music that I make. I think I think that when people really fucking listen to it and give it a chance, they 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 realize like, oh, okay, like I under I get what's going on here. I don't ever want to be like I'm not. You know, people all the time like whether it's fucking billboard or some other big publication and people want to do interviews and all this type of shit and they're always like conservative rapper guy republican rapper fucking tom mcdonald and i'm like whoa stop it um i'm not that i'm not a republican i'm not fucking conservative i'm also not a fucking liberal or a democrat i'm not the guy that's gonna wear your fucking name tag around and be like 
this is the set of political ide- ideologies that I run my fucking life by and blah, blah, blah. It's fucking bullshit, bro. It's, just, it's, just, it's a fucking trick, bro. Like, it's like, hey, here's a fucking set of fucking abstract rules to live your life by. And if you like these rules, then you're red. And if you like these rules, then you're blue. This whole shit is such – it's so obviously a fucking way to pit people against one another. So we're all fucking pointing the, the fingers at one another and not pointing the fingers at the motherfuckers that made the teams, bro. Like right. it's so fucking obvious. So there's no significance to you wearing a red flannel shirt right now? That's just a coincidence? <laughs> Dude, don't tell me you've been on the internet re- watching all those conspiracy videos about me. Fuck. No, I'm just... Um, I think just the fact that you're an independent artist is what you're talking about. You put out your own shit. It's like, that's freedom. You know what I mean? Like, And, and I, I think... Fact. It's amazing. You know what I mean? That's an amazing thing. How addicted to like validation are you? Like, How addicted to the views, to the likes to the interaction, to the attention, like how much does that fucking feed your, uh, your, uh, dopamine? You know what I mean? Cause you have so much, it gets so yeah. much attention. It's crazy. The level of attention that you get. Yeah. It's, it's fucking weird, man. Like sometimes, like sometimes you want it like, and sometimes you don't want anybody to ever look at you ever again. Sometimes you're like, don't be around me. Don't look at my direction. Don't, fucking go to my page don't nothing like sometimes you just get that way and sometimes like especially when you've created something that is uh you know quite important to you like like balloons is a song that i put out like last year and it was sort of about like mental health and addiction and shit like that and like songs like that are so fucking important to me that it like really fucking it really means something to me when people interact and like it and watch it and tell me that they love it and stuff, it really fucking means something to me about those songs that are especially important. And it's, it sucks when they're not fucking received the way that you want them to be received. Because at some point in time, like there's like a separation between like Tom, the person and Tom's work creatively. But the longer you do it, and the more important that it becomes to you and the more of yourself that you put into the music, the more those two things start to fuse into one. And then you sort of become all I am is the music. All I am is like what I create outside of the music. I don't know who the fuck Tom McDonald is anymore. I don't. I have become this thing that I do. And that's a real dangerous fucking thing. Because the second, you know, I walk down the fucking street tomorrow and get hit by a car and crush my fucking larynx and I can't make music anymore. I'm fucked. Well, that's only a piece of it, though. You know, that's only a piece of it. You might be fucked professionally, but spiritually, you know what I mean? Like, like where, like, are you worried that you lose yourself? You know what I mean? It sounds like you're so invested that you are the, the character and the character is you. Do you feel like, like a spiritual missing piece in that, or do you find that you add the spirituality to the music? I mean, I think I've just, everything has just come together. I have just become, I am just me now. Like I I am one fucking thing. And like my music and my spirituality and my, everything is all so interconnected and reliant on the, every piece now that it's like there is no removing like anything 
the same way that Dear Rappers happened the way that it happened, I feel like that source like speaks through me into a lot of my music as well. So I definitely have that relationship. It's definitely like a part of who I am. Everything has become so interconnected. I think before the mental breakdown, I had Tom the person and his creative work and they were different. The creative work was talking about the same shit that every other rapper was talking about. Guns, clothes, girls, parties, money, fucking blah, blah, blah. Cars, the, whatever, the, yeah. The, the, yeah, the trappings of fucking life. And those, those, were, those were two separate people. But after the mental breakdown and all that shit sort of crumbled, and then I sort of decided like what type of music I want to make, who I want to talk about it to, how I want to do it, da, 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 da. And I rebuilt myself from nothing after I'd crumbled and I built everything into the fucking same person. So now I'm like making music about things that I really give a fuck about. And I'm like making you know, songs with messages that really fucking mean something to me where I think it's different. If you fucking told like, I don't know, like if you told fucking Eminem or Lil Wayne or somebody like this song's fucking trash, I don't like that song. They might not give a fuck because they might be like, okay, cool. Like, well, you hate my song. It's not representative of who I am as a person, but my music is so fucking close to home and from my essence of my fucking being now it's like if you fucking say that you hate that song you're essentially telling me that you, you fucking hate me because that shit is part of like who i am at this point and like i said that's a that's a dangerous situation to be in that is a lot of fucking pressure brother uh when you talked about resentment of not getting high or drunk you know what i'm saying in the right in the kind of mm -hmm. genesis of dear rappers do you feel any of that now like being in this like in success, you know, not being able to celebrate with alcohol, not being able to celebrate with weed, not being able to party. Does that disturb you ever? Do you feel that feeling? Um, Be honest. Be honest, Mr. McDonald. Tell me the truth. I mean. You're young. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. It's got to be rough. Height of your powers. You know, yeah, yeah. You know what, man? Like, yes, sometimes, yes. But there's a bigger part of me that's scared of what that might mean for my for my life. So it it honestly like there's definitely times where I'm like, like fuck, man. I was just looking at this photo album the other day of these old wrestling photos, and there was a, a friend of mine from Canada who was like my best friend in the wrestling business, and we we always got put together. We were always working with each other on shows and shit, and uh, oh, we every time that we had this a fucking barn burner match we'd always have jack and coke that was our thing jack and coke jack and coke jack and coke straw short glass no rocks just that was our thing and uh i was looking at pictures of me and him the other day and i fucking thought like god damn what i would do to fucking drink a jack and coke and smoke a cigarette right now like that would be fucking awesome mm. or you know when you get fucking 11 number ones on billboard for one album and you're like this definitely feels like the time you're supposed to pop champagne but I don't, uh, you know, there's like times like that, that it's like, fuck, bummer, dude. Like, what do you do instead? Work. Right. So when, when can you celebrate? What is, what does celebration look like? There isn't any. Oh, this is the saddest thing I ever heard. What are we going to do? It's you gotta, no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta sad. find, no, not sad. I feel like a tear no, is going sad. down your cheek when you say there isn't any. No, okay. not at all. No, you feel it, good. I just don't celebrate. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, 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 I don't, I just don't celebrate. You fuck ask anybody, dude, like my girlfriend, my fucking friends, like they'll, they'll call and be like, dude, congratulations. Da, 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 da. 
And I'm like, yeah, just wait, man. I just I shot this fucking video the other day. Just wait till this one goes out. This one's gonna be crazy. Like, but like I'm 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 like that's that's my biggest fucking problem, bro. Is that like if I climb to the top of a ladder, which I constantly do, I just try and figure out a way to add more rungs every time. The next, I'm like, okay, how? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I'm trying to chill that out, dude, because like you only ever fucking really, you know, you look at all these places and like, oh fucking number one on billboard 10 number ones on billboard 10 million views this that grammy fucking oscar juno fucking blah, blah, blah. You look at all these fucking places all these things it's like as that as places you feel like it's some sort of fucking destination that you're going to like arrive at one day but that's the fucking that's the trick dude you don't ever fucking arrive you only ever arrive at one place in your fucking life and that's your deathbed and that's it and all you got to do at that point in time is fucking look back at all the places you thought were destinations that fucking weren't, that you blew past at a thousand miles a fucking hour trying to get to wherever the fuck it was that you were headed to. And you never really get there. So it's like, that's my big thing now is like trying to fucking look back or not even look back, trying to be present in the fucking moment when something special is happening, right. when the fucking billboard happens, when the fucking the views happen, whenever the fucking thing happens. That is my fucking celebration now. My celebration, I shouldn't say there isn't one. There isn't in any traditional sense. But my celebration now is when the fucking billboards happen or when the fucking video rolls over to 50 million views or whatever the fuck it might be, my celebration is remembering to fucking take a second to be still and be quiet and appreciate the fucking moment for what it is. And then it's fucking I, – I pause – I, I fucking look out the window for a minute and I think, wow, that's fucking beautiful. Maybe I take a quick look in the rear view and be like, Jesus Christ, five years ago, I was fucking on my mom's fucking couch, fucking addicted to alcohol and Ativan, fucking my life up. But, but, but my God, look at, look at that. And then fucking pedal to the fucking metal and we're gone. That's my celebration. You know, I love that. I, and that's, that's very, very beautiful. And I appreciate that. Okay. Who's your favorite rapper of all time? Eminem or Lil Wayne. Have you met them? No. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to hear the story about the fucking Dear Slim Eminem NFT fucking controversy. Like, are you in B, a weird sort of Dude. like beef with Eminem somehow or no? It's just it's just fandom. No. The post-Super Bowl bit. I love on. that. The post-Super Bowl bit. <laughs> to me, that was the funniest shit ever. I thought that was me too. hilarious. But like, that's the thing, though. It's like, I don't know, like how he feels about that in particular but prior to that like we were all good like and i'm not gonna say like how i know that or like anything but like i can guarantee that like up until that point in time there was no problem at all everything was super cool so uh, you know any way that you the fucking cookie's gonna crumble like that guy's literally the fucking reason that i started rapping in the first place so i'm always gonna it's nothing but fucking love and respect for eminem but um yeah the nft thing was fucking crazy bro it was like so weird like i had a fucking song written called eminem and i was like first of all this is going to be fucking hilarious because people are going to freak the fuck out everybody's going to think it's like a diss song and everybody's going to be fucking thrown into this frenzy and really all it was was me being like the same way that Eminem was controversial and that character in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, that's the kind of who I am now. So I had that whole thing fucking planned and I wrote the song and it was a fucking smasher. It's actually, it's on no guts, no glory. 
the mixtape. So it was like fucking wicked. And uh, at the same time that I write this song, like Nova and people in my circle are starting to talk about like crypto and NFTs and like all this shit. And I'm like, okay, like, it sounds cool. Like you had me at decentralized. I like that. Like I like taking power away from the fucking the man and shit like that. So that was cool. And then Nova was like, well, Eminem's going to drop these NFTs. I'm going to buy this fucking sick Eminem fucking trading card of an action figure or some shit. And I was like, okay, cool. Like do that. But I don't set up my wallet. I don't do fuck all. And then she fucking gets the Eminem card with the figure on it and shows it to me. And I, and it's really fucking cool. And immediately I start to feel like jealous that I didn't get one and they're sold out. And I'm like, man, fuck NFTs and fuck that drop. And like, I feel like I missed out. So I'm like choked about it. I like pull right. out my phone and fucking Google the, like the Eminem NFT drop. And I'm like fl- flipping through it. Everything's sold out, sold out, sold out. But there's this one fucking thing that's not sold out. And it's the Stan's Revenge NFT. And, and it's like this little fucking video of like a bunch of ski masks and chainsaws and shit. And I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's cool or whatever. I start like reading the description. And like one of the things in the description is this fucking original beat produced by Eminem. And I'm like, hold the fuck up. Like I can be like the first independent rapper in history to get a fucking beat from Eminem, like 14 year old Tom McDonald is fucking losing his fucking mind right now. And I'm like, holy shit, I gotta fucking, I gotta do this shit. So I like run into the house and I was like, yo, you know that song Eminem I just wrote? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, just picture this. Eminem by Tom McDonald, produced by Eminem. And Nova was like, oh my God. And I was like, yeah, I gotta get this fucking thing. So dude, that turned into like, the day that the auction went off, I got like fucking two computers set up on my table. I got my phone set up. I got Nova on her computer. I got my accountant on the fucking phone. The auction's going and it's fucking time's ticking down. And it's like, it's at like $20,000. So I'm like, it's like seriously like some fucking Wolf of Wall Street shit going on in my house. I'm like bid 25,000. So 25,000 goes up. And like, dude, I'm the fucking guy who couldn't afford fucking groceries and rent at the same time, who plugged his fridge into an extension cord. And I'm still that guy. Like, this is my fucking merch shirt. This is like a fucking $4 white shirt from a thrift store. Like, like this is my fucking merch hat. Like, I am not like the fucking big money spender guy because I know what it's fucking like to have nothing. So I'm like super fucking scared about sending money, but I want this fucking beat. So I'm like, put the 25 grand on it or whatever. Boom. That gets done. It goes up to like 26 grand. I'm like, okay, go 27. It goes to 27. The time's fucking ticking down. Right. My kid go, uh, go to 28, go to 29. It gets to 30. And all of a sudden my card locks up click. I can't get it. And the, t- and the timer's fucking running down. And I got my fucking accountant on the phone and I'm the fucking cards locked up. What the fuck's going on? Blah, 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 blah. Nova's trying to figure it out. I'm like, yo, we got fucking 10 minutes left on this fucking auction. Like, and people by this time are like watching this auction and they see that Tom McDonald, the Uh name has popped up on the bidding thing. And they're like, wait a fucking minute. Like, is that fucking Tom, Tom? So like people are jumping in there to try and be like, yo, this motherfucker cannot end up with that beat. So people are trying to like outbid me. 
we're on the fucking phone with the bank. The bank says, you got this cap on your car. We can't remove it, blah, 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 blah. After like fucking 10 minutes of arguing with them, they removed the cap. So the most money I could spend was 100000 on the fucking dot. And I could only make five transactions, five transactions and a hundred grand. And the fucking bid is at like 70 right now. So now I'm like, okay, go to 72. And then we go to 72 and then somebody outbids me. And I'm like, go to 75. We go to 70, somebody goes up to 86. I'm like, okay, go to 90. And we go to 90. And now I got like one fucking bid left. Cause I only have five transactions on my cards. So I only got the one left and we're watching this fucking timer go down. Fucking one minute, 59, 58, 57, 56. And we're watching this fucking thing. And, 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 and there's one guy fucking ahead of me and um, I'm watching this shit. And I'm like, it's down to fucking 15 seconds or something. And I'm like, bid a hundred grand, put it all down. Fucking just do it. Just do it. Just put all the fucking money down. Boom, fucking dropped a hundred grand and the fucking timer restarts. Every time somebody bids in the last five minutes, the timer fucking flips back. So it flips back to two minutes and it was fucking dead silent in my house for fucking two minutes. And we're like this watching this fucking thing. I mean, I can't spend any more money than I've already allotted. So if somebody outbids me, like I'm fucked. So so who are you bidding against like dr dre and shit who, who's bidding i can't tell because it's just a bunch of fucking fake screen names you know but in my head i'm like it's like fat joe <laughs> fat joe is bidding fucking i know like, 50 cent dre 50 cent bid like a lot earlier in the day he was like the first bid at like fucking i don't know 10 grand or some shit so i was thinking like because we use my real name as the bidding name, like I wonder if somebody at fucking the label is seeing it and they're like, yo, we cannot let this Tom McDonald guy win this bid because we know who he is and we know what he's going to do. And so I'm like wondering if they're fucking like secretly have like a screen name and they're fucking outbidding me. Um, but whatever. So if it counts down, fucking three, two, one, zero, boom, name comes up, Tom McDonald, winner of Stan's Revenge. And uh, I'm like, part of me is like holy fucking shit this is incredible and part of me is like you fucking moron you just spent a hundred thousand dollars like you're never gonna make that back off this song but like it's not really fucking you know it's not really about that a lot of people thought like oh tom just did this so eminem would acknowledge him or fucking or tom just did this because he's gonna make a bunch of money off this song or whatever the fuck but it was like never really like about that to me it was about like doing something fucking epic and groundbreaking and like making history as an independent artist i just thought like this is you know like i literally the reason why i started fucking rapping i never thought in a million fucking years i'd have the opportunity to rap on his one of his beats so but it is like a super postmodern, legendary move and it's also what you just said it's the journey like it's the fucking journey it's like and that's something like you can go to bed at night and be like that's fucking cool that i did that like it's <laughs> yeah. fucking so yeah. cool um i'm i'm scared my game is going to be too underwhelming after this interview so bear with me that the game is not going to be okay. as good as the interview okay you're gonna pick okay uh chocolate or vanilla chocolate junkyard dog or the rock oh god it's an it's an unfair question because you gotta pick. I feel like you don't I, like The Rock. <laughs> well, no, it's not that. My favorite fucking wrestler of all time is Steve Austin, and his arch nemesis is The Rock. But I don't know anything about Junkyard Dog really because he was before my time. So if I pick, 
fucking junkyard dog. It's a cop out because I don't want to choose my favorite re- wrestler's arch nemesis. So can I just answer fucking Steve Austin? Yeah, sure. Third base or the Beastie Boys? <laughs> Beastie Boys. Kid Rock or Tommy Lee? Kid Rock. Color Me Bad or Snow? Snow. Okay. Chris Rock or Will Smith? <laughs> Yo. Will fucking Smith. Okay. Jay-Z or Biggie Smalls? Jay. Hippies or punk rockers? Punk rockers. Vegans or people who practice the carnivore diet? Uh, I guess I'm going with the fucking carnivore one because I'm just tired of hearing <laughs> I, I, about people's vegan diets. So. Okay. Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, shit. Well, Picard is like my favorite show on TV right now, but I'm going to for, – for, for, and, and I think that Disney is doing a fucking – incredibly fucking lame job at keeping this the star wars fucking saga alive but i'm still gonna have to go with star wars mandalorian or boba fett boba fett fucking marvel or dc marvel makes better movies but i'm going with dc still man why why am i going with dc yeah fucking batman my guy what do you mean all right Toronto or Vancouver or California? California. Russia or Ukraine? Oh, fuck. Uh, oh, I don't give a fuck about either one of them. America, baby. All right. There we go. And uh, so Canada or USA? I don't know. It's a tiebreaker, man. I can't piss off my Canadian. It's, that's home to me. But this fucking place literally allowed me to fucking realize every fucking single ounce of my dreams so i forever have to give it up to america dude uh thank you you fucking went way above and beyond for this thing was this the greatest podcast you've ever been on without the shadow of a doubt greatest podcast of all time all right there you go so there you go that was uh tom mcdonald billboard number one artist uh of the year only independent artist to ever do that maelstrom of controversy. I know I'm going to hear about it from you guys. So please write an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I thought he was forthcoming and, uh, and really a pleasure to talk to. So thank you, Tom McDonald for coming through on the show and for being so forthcoming and honest and, and, and telling your experience and, uh, and telling us where you come from. I think, uh, Honesty is everything and, uh, you know, open-mindedness and willingness and all that stuff are good too. Tonight I'm going on date night with Linda. We were supposed to go see Marky Ramone, uh, tell the story, his story of being in the Ramones, but he canceled, canceled for the second time. So Linda and I are going to go walk around Patchog and eat Cuban food and try to find something uh, to get caught up in. But before we end the show, it's a long show, I'm going to read an email because this is dopey. You guys are in the dopey nation, and I think uh, an email is good. So here we go. This I just got. Okay, you ready? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here we go. Just got this email. And write us emails at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. My dad hates it when I futz around. And Sam used to hate it when I futzed around looking for emails, but I've always, I always liked that stuff. That was always my favorite part of the show. Here we go. This is from a dopey super fan who we'll call Ed. 
And uh, it's in reference to my dog excrement story from last week. And Ed says, hey, Dave, regarding your dog, Winnie, her excrement and the urge to put the bag of poop in a mailbox or library book return or throw it at the college, the urge to vandalize suburbia really hits home. And I got a lot of emails about this. When I was around nine, my dad would tell me to get one of my mom's old purses. He had my brother and I collect all the dog poop from the backyard into the purse, then put it up the street a bit by a parked car where we could still see it. We'd then sit on the porch, water the grass, wait and watch. It always got picked up by a car driving by. They'd stop, get it, drive on a bit, and then we'd see it go flying out the window. Best time ever. We'd be cracking up and then run down the block to get it and do it all over again until we got a keeper, someone who kept it. Mom was not pleased, but we loved it. When I was about 13, I got caught and got into a massive amount of trouble for smashing a carton of eggs one time into the mailbox. The mailman handed me over to my dad and I got my ass kicked. When my puppy got lo- who got loose and got killed by a speeding car, I put a, I put a row of bricks down the block across the street in a shaded area as an improvised speed bump. When my son was born, I would take the diapers he filled while we were out and put them in a pickup truck beds. That was Texas, so every other car was a gas-guzzling pickup. When I li- this is a really a lot of vandalizing in this email. Not it's, this is the dumb shit portion of the show. When I lived in Omaha, I would leave three smaller sandwich-sized Ziploc bags inside a larger gallon Ziploc by the Greyhound station steps, by the police station and just watch videotaping the reactions videotaping the reactions one had oregano one had baking soda and one had dog shit but wrapped in brown packing tape the surprise and reactions were priceless the police would generally take it in and who knows what happened the greyhound people would try and be covert maybe do a walk by but ultimately take it the best was when there were two people that would find it at the bus station and they'd argue over and fight over it I later started calling it monkey wrenching thanks to the Edward Abbey book, The Monkey Wrench Gang. That's not a noble or higher calling about doing much of this, but yeah, it's a strong urge. Just thought I would share and say good job on doing the next right thing each time when he takes a public dump. Stay strong in this respect. I love the podcast. You're an awesome host, part of my, a huge part of my sobriety. So thank you, sir, for keeping it going. Best, Ed. Thank you, Ed. Ed is a big participator. Anyone out there who participates in the goings of Dopey, thank you. Uh, fucking Patreon Zoom is tomorrow night. I should have mentioned that at the beginning of the show. But if it's before Saturday night and you're a patron, go to the Patreon Zoom. I'm going to put that Todd thing out. My Sober Buddy Challenge. Maybe it's too late in the show to mention it. Sober Buddy Challenge was, um, was bullet journaling. They suggest that I started a bullet journal and they didn't know that I had started a bullet journal in January and I stopped. So I am taking the sober buddy challenge and bullet journaling again. I'm going to do a video about bullet journaling. I like it. Keeps my thoughts organized. Hope you guys are great. Hope you enjoyed Tom McDonald. Happy birthday to Todd. We miss you. We love you. Stay strong. Dopey nation. Fucking toodles for Todd and fucking Andrew and Dave Marshall and the Troy that died and Colleen MC and 
that kid, I can't even think of his name. Liam was his name. And um, someone suggested on Patreon that we do, um, that we mention everybody who died at the end of the show. I think that's an interesting idea. I don't think I have a comprehensive list. I think so many people die. Um, it's hard to keep track. So we'll say stay strong to all of those people. But before we go, really, I want to say this. Uh, super dope. Um, Whitey Tidy's Jeremy Turner sent me this little note uh, that someone told him this this morning, that the three M's in the first year of sobriety are meetings, meditation, and masturbation, similar to the, the sixth year of sobriety. Anyway, stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris and everybody else, and have a, a great day or night. I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I want to take a ride up in the sky Watch this airplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind Leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good so bad Wanna be good so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had